1: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Joined today on this Sunday afternoon by Marshall Scott, the owner and um, distributor. What's the word? Not distributor. Not contributor. Uh, owner. Uh, sure, that'll you work. Like owner. Does that sound There's... too like NFL franchisee guy? But
0: yeah, I like to put CEO on like tax forms because it makes me sound cooler than I actually am. But in reality, I'm just a guy who writes.
1: Marshall, the CEO. I like that. Marshall Scott from Pistols Firing joining me on today's show. It's a great time to fill in, Marshall, because, um, wow, I don't remember, you know, we all look back to that Fiesta Bowl season as far as big turnarounds go, but this one might even be more shocking just from where they were versus where they are now. Uh, West Virginia, big win on the road. They went 48-34, and Marshall, it's there's a lot of directions to go, but I think I'm still stunned at just how good this team looks versus how bad they looked back in September. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah. And you know, Ollie Gordon and the quarterback, you know, them settling on a quarterback is going to get a lot of those headlines. Uh, Mike Gundy has pointed to the offensive line playing better, which is almost more confusing than it. Not that he points to that, but the turnaround that the offensive line had is almost more confusing than anything because this group has not looked good for maybe three years. And all of a sudden they're, you know, keeping Alan Bowman clean. They're allowing Ollie Gordon to rush for 282 and four touchdowns. Um, so that turnaround's been absolutely nuts. And it's kind of it, – that is just about as crazy as, you know, losing to South Alabama, scoring only seven points to to go in and hanging 48 on a West Virginia team in Morgantown.
1: Trying to explain what you just hit on to someone who's not as into it as we are, doesn't pay attention week to week. Like, for instance, like we were watching the game. Uh, I was watching with somebody who doesn't follow OSU closely. as an OU guy and doesn't watch them week to week. And trying to explain how bad they were against South Alabama and just in general on offense. And I, I basically said they couldn't run on air. And now they're running for, you know, one of the running backs is running for 280 yards and is up there with Barry and Thurman in the record books. Like it, it's hard to even, and, and they're watching what we're watching. It's West Virginia and they almost don't believe you. Like, oh, maybe you're just exactly like, no, it was that bad. They barely had 200 yards of offense. And it's just, it almost defies logic or reason, but I, I think you made a great point about the offensive line, which we'll, we'll get to as well. But let, let's just talk about Ali Gordon Marshall, because I mean, it's, it's obvious we were all wondering why he, his touches were so few to begin the year. I, I frankly wanted him to be the starting running back last year. I made those thoughts known. I don't know if I thought Marshall, he would be the best running back in the country. And I think he's making a serious case for that, for the Doke Walker. All of a sudden, Marshall, it's gone from are you playing the right running back to you weren't playing the best running back in the entire country? Because that's exactly what he's playing like right now.
0: Yeah, I've, I've been trying to temper my expectations. I'm worried that I'm, you know, getting caught too much in recency bias, but like Oklahoma state has had a lot of good running backs over even recent history. Guys like justice Hill, Chris Carson, uh, Jalen Warren, Chuba Hubbard. Those are all really, really good running backs. And I'm just, I'm not sure that any of them right now, are as good as a sophomore ollie gordon which is crazy to say considering again the guy got three carries or whatever it was against south alabama I'm, I'm trying to move past that i really am but just watching him run is like something i've never seen before it's like i, I tweeted this out yesterday Is like whenever he gets in the open field his stride kind of looks like james washington whenever he's you know prancing to the end zone after a you know a nice post route it's just people don't want to tackle him there was a his long touchdown run against Kansas last week, there was a defensive back kind of coming across the middle and he just kind of stuck his arms out. Cause he, he knew he wanted none of that. Um, and there was something similar yesterday in that uh, touchdown run that he had kind of towards the corner of the end zone where it looked like um, a defender had a, had a beat on him and could have pushed him out of bounds at like the two. And and the guy was just like, I, I kind of don't want to mess with him right now because that's a freight train running downhill. So it's, it's remarkable. It's unlike anything we've really seen before all those guys I mentioned earlier, they're kind of more your scat back types, your, you know, jump cut and and just take off, and, and always got some of that in him. There's there's a clip floating around social media with one of his long runs where he just absolutely embarrasses a, a, a defender in the backfield before running for a long touchdown. But it's just it looks like something I've never seen before. Gundy keeps mentioning Keith Tostin. I was around to watch Keith Toston, but I don't really remember him in the pantheon of you know great Oklahoma State <laughs> running backs. I'm sure he was good, but it, it it's just the way that it looks. It looks different.
1: Well, I was around I was in or I was covering Oklahoma State when Keith Tostin was the running back. And I love Keith I love Keith Tostin, but he was kind of the little engine that could. He was a guy who kind of overachieved at the running back position. And I think the reason Mike compares him to him is Tostin was a very good all-around back. He could he could catch the football as well as run it. And I think that's what all he's proven he can do so far this year as well. Um Colby and I were trying to come up with comps and the one that got thrown out apparently by RG3 who was just he was just all over the map <laughs> during the broadcast. He had a lot of things to say, but I think he threw out Le'Veon Bell, and uh, I think James Wynn tw- tweeted me that as well. Uh, I think that's a great comp because he has this weird kind of kind of glide across the offensive line looking for those holes that he's been able to find lately, and it, it's very reminiscent of Le'Veon Bell, who was also, I believe, six one, six two, 6'2", kind of a longer, rangier type of running back I I can really get behind the the Le'Veon Bell comparison but I'm so glad you brought up James Washington because when when you and I were covering him how many times do we like turn to the guy next to us and be like he just runs past everyone like he just they he literally must be the fastest guy he's like Usain Bolt when he puts pads on because you're right it doesn't look like he's running that fast but seemingly in two steps he's gone 10 11 12 yards so I it's very much the same in that it looks effortless. It looks like he's not even running that hard, and he just leaves guys in the dust, even at his size. It's it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it looks like almost like they're running on a treadmill. You know, where you can just kind of you know stride out. You're not really worried about things around you, and that's crazy to think considering he's got all these pads on and people are trying to you know take out his ankles and things like that. It's I I don't even know what to compare it to. I said I said in, in ten thoughts yesterday. What you kind of alluded to there was it, it looks like he's getting like ten yards of stride but also not running bear. It's, it is so confusing that I've never, I've never seen anything like this before. I don't think.
1: Yeah. And it's when you start comparing him to those, those names you mentioned from OSU's past, it just, it looks so much different than what we're talking about where, you know, Joseph Randall had the, the Randall shimmy where he would just embarrass a guy almost every long run he ever had. And, you know, Jalen Warren, obviously just the sheer volume he had was remarkable, but Ollie just makes it look easy. Like all of his touchdown runs, you almost were looking around to blame West Virginia, but he obviously, the the touchdown you mentioned, I think I believe was his last one, where the defensive lineman gets into the backfield, and he does kind of a, I don't even know how to really describe it. It wasn't really a jump cut. It wasn't like a, it was more like an Olay, like a bullfighter almost, and just left him, and it it looked just completely effortless, but the numbers, Marshall, are just outrageous. I mean, he, from Cody Nagel, our friend Cody, he Ollie Gordon outgained, 13 power five teams by himself in week eight Uh, and you had some really good numbers as well you know you you tweeted that he rushed for 707 yards in big 12 play which leads the league by 155 yards he ran for 479 after contact in big 12 play and only five running backs have run for that many yards in big 12 games this season I mean the, the numbers like again like this this is after this game the numbers he's put up against West Virginia Marshall like the conversation is is changing drastically from, why weren't you playing this guy? Why weren't you playing this guy? To, is this the best running back in the country? Because the numbers are just bananas.
0: Yeah, and I hope he can get some of that recognition. I'm sure that he'll be like the Doak Walker running back of the week again and, and things like that. I hope that it, it feels like this happens with OSU guys a lot, where it's like, this guy should be in the conversation. You think that, I think it was Thailand's 2019 year, um, the year that he went off, and, and even Chuba Hubbard's 2,000-yard season, where... You're like, this guy deserves the award for his position group, but it's, it's Oklahoma State, so maybe he's not going to get it. And I, I kind of – I'm a little nervous based on how OSU started the year and how he didn't play a ton to start the year, that that's going to hurt him in, in this title hunt. But my gosh, this kid deserves a Dope Walker. And it – like, like not that I'm ready to call it right now, but even if he is, you know, just running for 130 for the rest of the year, I feel like he's he's got to be in that conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, shoot, if he – keeps doing this every week marshall he's going to be invited to new york for the heisman that's just that's the level he's playing at that's the number he's he's putting up and I, i do want to ask you about like the turnaround about the offensive line but i i you know i meet colby and i have beaten this into the ground but what do you make of just what happened in september with the rotation obviously at quarterback and obviously the rotation at at running back, I mean, Mike Gunny's done an amazing job. Casey Dunn's turned things around. Charlie Dickey, the offensive line's playing better. But this is getting like Tyree Kill territory in terms of underutilizing a absolute freak at, at one of the one of the most important positions in all of football. I just, I, I get the where do you fall on it, Marshall? I guess is my question.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to honestly just forget that September happened. I think um, <laughs> I, I think that's like it's gonna make me happier if I think that way. Uh, but yeah, you know, I like hindsight is 2020. That the way that you know the, the preseason or the whatever they call it, the non-conference was handled was not good. Um, the quarterback rotation, the running back rotation. But at the same time, I still think that Elijah Collins and Jaden Nixon both. I think there's room for them in this offense. Um, but you know not at the expense of you know Ollie Gordon getting you know three carries or whatever it was against South Alabama so I'm I'm a little on the fence about it. Um, I, I think that Collins is similar to Gordon in that you know I think you can run similar schemes with Collins and, and then I think Nixon's a good kind of change of pace back to you, you know if you need to hurt somebody with speed um, and things of that nature. but yeah it's it's just hard to imagine that this wasn't you know the obvious choice at, at running back and, and I understand, wanting to give guys a chance I get where, you know, Gundy was coming from in, in doing that, but it, it just, you know, feels especially here, you know, on October 22nd, like that, that was, it was, it was handled poorly. There, there's no other way about it, about it, but he's, he's just been so good. And I wonder if some of it has to do with, you know, Gundy said that they weren't tackling a ton um, and that was kind of an issue for their tackling struggles um, in the early part of the year. So, so maybe, you know, Ollie wasn't able to show you know what he could do because people weren't actually trying to tackle him. I don't I, I, like, that's just me trying to come up with a reason Oh, no, that makes as sense to why to he wasn't being, you know, utilized as much as he is.
1: No, I, I think that makes sense. Um, and look, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I don't mean to harp on it. I just, I think you have to ask those questions when this guy is, is doing what he's doing. And like, I mean, shoot Marshall, like, Oh, you and Texas almost lost on Saturday. Like, like the big 12 is not out of reach for them and I know you wrote about that in your 10 thoughts as well so it's it Bears questioning what in the world happened uh I know they did finally play both of those guys meaning Bowman and, and Gordon up at Iowa State but think how good they would be if they played them now with the the experience they've been able to to play with now but let, let's go back to the positive um what's been the biggest turn difference in the turnaround on the offense I know I know Dalton Cooper going to left tackle has made an impact but it, it sure seems like Gordon's mostly buttering his bread, you know, around the guards right through the middle of, of the teeth of defenses, which has usually spelled disaster anytime they've tried to do that over the last three years.
0: Yeah, for for one, I and I'm not gonna act like I'm some offensive line guru, but but people at pro football focus, which some people like those grades, some people, you know, think differently. They, they've they said Joe Mikulski has done outstanding at center. So he was the, the number one ranked center in all of the country last week. Um, was by far the best center in the Big 12 last week, so so that obviously helps. Um, I've got some numbers for something I'm writing for the site later today, but in the in the non-conference, OSU ran for 3.9 yards a carry thus far in Big 12 play. They're running for six yards a carry, and, and then on top of that, past the you know the rushing totals which uh, have been crazy, um, OSU quarterbacks were sacked 2.7 times a game in the non-conference. They've been sacked 0. 0.5 times a game so far. Yeah, I'm in Big 12 play. So it's it, it, surely it wasn't as simple as moving Dalton Cooper to left tackle. Maybe it was. Um, but it's just crazy to think that this offensive line group, which has struggled, they've been injured in the last couple of years, but they have really struggled since like 2020. I remember that, that 2020 season opener, I think it was against Tulsa, where you know you lose two offensive linemen in the first quarter to injury. Um, and then they they've seemingly haven't recovered until right now from that moment. So I I don't know what's happened. I don't know if Mike Gundy's got some voodoo magic that he shared with Charlie Dickey. Um, <laughs> but it seems to be working wonders.
1: Well, I think they there was a lot of talk in the, you know, summertime, fall camp portion of the schedule, portion of the year where they were Gundy and, and Casey Dunn kept talking about kind of getting back to the basics in terms of, you know, less zone, more, more their traditional gap scheme running. And I think I think some of that is the reason they're having more success running the football. I do think they got a little too zone heavy where it's, it's dependent upon the running back to, to kind of make the play and they had the wrong running backs in there. So that's where like, we can talk about gap scheme and and zone. Like Ollie Gordon <laughs> is the Trump card for whatever schemes you're running, whatever defense you're throwing at him, because we all know, and you made a point of this in your 10 thoughts. He was the absolute focal point for West Virginia. They were not afraid of Alan Bowman throwing deep cause he hasn't hardly done it at all this year. They were afraid of Ollie Gort. And in that second half, it did not matter what they did, uh, especially with the guy getting into the backfield. So I, I think you got to give a lot of credit to the offensive line. I think Mahalski is a great call out there. Um, but man, they score 48. I mean, 30 points used to be a, a distant memory and they scored dang near 30 in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, let's go back to kind of just how this game started Marshall. I mean, uh, just about a, the worst case scenario. <laughs> they get a they get a stop to open the game. And then Brennan Presley is interfered with um by his own man. Was that was that Kendall Daniels that ran into him?
0: I think it was Kale Smith.
1: Kale Smith, that's right. Um I thought he was it it's debatable, but I kind of thought he was blocked into Brennan Presley. Um they don't call it, and then boom. You're all of a sudden you're you're down. You just have a turnover on your first chance to even get the football back, and then Kendall Daniels really flips the script. It was just kind of one of those games, wasn't it, Marshall? Where every time OSU looked kind of doomed after a big mistake, they kind of just flipped the momentum back on its head. That was a that was a great way to do it early on in the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned in the, I think Brennan was kind of taking it on the shins on Twitter for you know not feeling that punt cleanly, and I just don't know how that's like. Imagine you know, 22 guys are running directly at you and you've got your head in the air. And then one of those guys hits you before the ball even lands. And now you've got to refocus and catch. I, I just, I don't think that that was Brennan's fault at all is what I'm trying to get at. Um, and then, yeah, Kendall Daniels comes up big, just picks that tight end like a booger, um, just rips that ball right out of his hands. And it <laughs> was- lunched a booger. Yeah, he, he just, it was great. Cause like the, the TV broadcast, um, I, I eventually muted it and, and went to Dave, uh, but the TV broadcast, they didn't even really realize that Kendall had the ball. Because he, he literally just took it right from him. It was it was. I, I want to see like a different angle of that, but um, yeah, it was just really back and forth. And then uh, you know, obviously, we'll get to it here in a second. But basically, the same thing happens to to West Virginia as far as you know punt interference. But then the guy maybe should have got called for targeting on his own teammate. <laughs> um, and, and that really seemed to be what opened you know the the floodgates up for for OSU's fourth quarter.
1: Well, that was. I mean, I don't know how you felt watching the game, but when when OSU, I believe they went three and out there, regardless, they were punting. That was such a, like, Neil Brown was interviewed right before that third down. He was like, we have to get a stop here. Like, he he knew how important that particular possession was to get the football back. Uh, OSU was reeling a little bit from giving up big plays. And, I mean, I thought at that moment, Marshall, it just seemed like one of those games where OSU has outgained their opponent, has largely outplayed them, but has just given up too many big shots over the top and has made just a couple of mistakes. And I, I don't even want to get into the officials yet. I, I might I might have to have a few yinglings before I do. They, they got some tough calls that didn't go their way. It just seemed kind of like one of those games, Marshall, where you keep climbing in the hill and getting kicked back down it. And I thought that particular play right there really allowed Oklahoma State to really seize control of the game.
0: Yeah, that's what Gundy said after the post game. I watched it on. They they put it in the the Dropbox. But, um, he, you know, he said that that play gave us some momentum on the road. He, he I think he said they were skateboarding uphill. Which, hey, at, at that point, I was yeah. close. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> at that point, maybe get off of the skateboard and start walking. But, um, <laughs> so that that it, it it's crazy to think how like the momentum of games can really play out, and it's not you know the, the, it's not Madden where everybody's got their rating. You know that, that that's just the level that they play at all the time. Uh, the big swings in momentum of this game were plenty, and, and you wonder what this game looks like if he just cleanly fields that punt. And even if West Virginia goes three and out after that punt, um, you just kind of wonder how different things are. Even if Oklahoma State wins, I doubt they you know explode for twenty eight points in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I will say this about Presley: he's he's a little shaky back there. How many times have we seen him, and it happened again against West Virginia, where. Just at the last second, he decides to let it bounce, and almost every time (laughs) it ends up being a bounce for the opposing team and rolls into even deeper into OSU territory. He has been a little shaky. Is that something you've noticed as well?
0: Uh, Yeah, I I think that's just kind of part of, especially in the college game where you know people are rugby styling, so the punter's taking you know nine steps before punting the ball, and by that time the the fielding team's already down there. I imagine given what happened and and the chaos of. You know, special teams overall just wasn't very good yesterday for Oklahoma State. I imagine it's going to be a lot of fair catches from here on out, and, and then, you know, we'll all get frustrated about that. Like, why isn't Brennan getting a chance to, you know, make some plays with his legs? <laughs> but I, I imagine it'll be the the fair catch zone for for a really long time here.
1: Yeah, I, I believe when they had Justin Blackman back there fair catching, they also had Brandon Whedon and, like, an offense that literally just don't screw it up and get them the ball. I wouldn't put them there yet, even though Ollie's, you know, torching the earth, but, but, um, you know, let's, let's talk about the defense Marshall. I mean, it's kind of more of the same, right? Where their corners play pretty well. Um, they get some picks, but man, the the book is out on this defense. Is it not where if you just throw it deep over the safety's heads, you're more often than not going to be rewarded. they just, they keep continue to give up the big play because again, I, I thought for the most part OSU controlled the football game. I didn't think Garrett Green was really lighting them up. I didn't think they were establishing too much in the running. I thought, I thought the defense played pretty well. It's just those those mind numbing busts where guys just run straight by them, uh, James Washington style, if you will. And it just it looks a little too easy at times to to beat this defense deep.
0: Yeah, I think you know Gundy's pointed to this, and it has a lot to do with I think the personnel back there. They're just a bunch of young guys. Cam Epps is young. Uh, Dylan Smith is young. I think both of those guys got beat um, yesterday and, and he said that the the or the Cam Epps one was um, he he's supposed to be in cover two, so he was just supposed to be deep. Gundy said he didn't care if he was in North Carolina like you shouldn't get ran by there. So <laughs> I, I think it's just going to be some growing pains for that group. Yeah. And Gundy said that Nardo had a good call on that play and that's just you know how it happened and, and I think also on that play was that was whenever Kendall Daniels had to come off the field. He was injured for a, a little bit. He had to go off the field. They bring Ty Williams in who immediately bites on a, on a play action. I don't know what, you know, his assignment was there, but it looked like he immediately bid on play action and then they just threw it right to where he was. So that that was like your one play in the game and, and that happened. So that was honestly good on West Virginia's part to, to know who was subbing in, who was subbing out. And it was the inexperienced guy that they just threw it right over his head. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's just kind of going to be part of it. Um, you know, as Gundy's likened this group to, you know, that Colby Harvell-Peel, Trey Sterling, um, Tanner McAllister, Jark, Bernard-Converse kind of group. Uh, so, you know, the, those those teams had to kind of take their lumps before that, that 2021 season where they were, you know, as good as they were. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's frustrating in the time being that they, they do allow these busts so frequently, um, but surely – you know here in a couple of years that it'll be really good for Oklahoma State that those guys are are getting those licks in early
1: yeah and I think you, you just you have to throw in just a new defensive coordinator like yeah. we saw similar growing pains with Jim Knowles his first year and he's obviously continuing to kill it up at Ohio State but you know I, I mentioned just how trying to explain to the layman how different they look on offense now versus September I, I think you can say the same thing about the defense just the way they look like the guy I was telling you about who doesn't watch OSU like he was marveling at, like, the size and the length of the DBs. He was like, look at these dudes. You guys, you got athletes all over the back end. And I'm like, you know what? Like, this is the team that I thought could win night. Like, I'm just sitting there, like, nodding. Like, yeah, this is kind of what I thought they would look like def- defensively. So a lot of rangy dudes in the secondary. They're going to be – it's going to look like there's 15 of them back there because they're so long and rangy. I mean, their corners have obviously played really well. You got Nicholas Martin tackling everything in sight. I think you can make a case, Marshall. Like, I know the defense hasn't put up eye popping numbers like Ollie Gordon has, but it's almost a similar situation where you're kind of looking around going, Yeah, like they've got talent. They just weren't being utilized all that great to, to begin the year. And I, I, having said that, I do think they played well enough to win the game against Arizona State. Um, but they got torched by South Alabama, as we all know. And I just, I don't know. How do you feel about it? It's just, you look at the talent level they have, and yeah, it's kind of a similar story that, you know, although they underachieved, they've they've got real talent back there.
0: Yeah, I, I'm kind of going back to that that play where Kendall Daniels ripped that tight end. I imagine that tight end turned around and knew that he had a defensive back on him, and then whenever he looks, and that defensive back happens to be Kendall Daniels, who's you know six four two twenty or whatever he is, <laughs> looks like the
1: predator he, back there. Yeah,
0: he probably just crapped himself. <laughs> um, but yeah, Nick Martin was after the first quarter. He had uh, seven. Ta- he was on pace for twenty eight tackles which is just ridiculous. I put put in 10 thoughts, he only got 17 tackles again. And then for kind of further reference, Malcolm Rodriguez's best game, his most tackles in a game was 15. And it's a different scheme. So I'm not saying that like, these are apples to apples uh, kind of comparison, but what Nicholas Martin is doing is just kind of ridiculous. Given, you you know, you you lose Mason Cobb, who I think is still an outstanding player. I think he's by far the best player uh, on USC's woeful defense right now. And then you bring in Justin Wright, who I think uh, from the outside, a lot, whenever they got Justin Wright to commit out of Tulsa, I was like, okay, Justin Wright is OSU's new starting middle linebacker. But that wasn't the case. Even before Justin Wright got hurt, Nicholas Martin was the guy. So this is a guy that, you know, even as a redshirt sophomore, they thought very highly of. And I just, I he came out of nowhere to me. I, you know, I, I remember covering him as he, you know, committed and, th- and things like that. But I'm, I was not expecting just how good he has been. He is everywhere. And then he just gets up. He's almost like Barry Sanders-esque. Whenever he just he just makes a you know tackle behind the line of scrimmage and, and just walks right back to his spot and it's just like okay I'm ready to do it again. And I imagine you know we mentioned kind of having to tackle Ollie for four quarters. I imagine if you have a linebacker that's stoic that's just laying the lumber on you for for four straight quarters, imagine it gets a little you know unsettling that you, that you have to continue going at him. So yeah, and I think some of the defenses you know, improvement over that. I think Colin Oliver is getting a lot more comfortable at his linebacker spot. I think Nardo's kind of realizing how to use him a little bit more. He's coming off the edge, it feels like, more than he has been. Um, so I, I think that's good. I, I think Nardo's just kind of getting more comfortable with his personnel and knowing what he has. Um, and, and yeah, they could just stop these busts. I, I think Oklahoma State's got a pretty good defense on its hands.
1: Yeah, and I I, I think that's so true. And like, you think back to some of those, those early games that they struggled defensively, like, you didn't hear Nick Martin's name a ton. I think it took him and Nardo time to get comfortable with each other and him to get comfortable in Nardo's scheme. And, you know, the hallmark of those great defense was, was Malcolm Rodriguez seemingly being at the top of every pile or coming out of every pile. And you're starting to see that now with Nick Martin, where he has really become the heartbeat of the defense. And I think you're right. I think, yeah, I don't think Justin Wright ever really challenged him uh, based on the, the, the amount of snaps they were getting because he just, you can't take the guy off the field. And, He's given them a real identity besides the guys, all the athletes I mentioned on the back end. That's that's why they're playing so well. And I think when you we talk about the defense playing so well, Marshall, one of your 10 thoughts, the fourth down defense, I mean, I, I how do you feel about all these coaches just going for it, You know, throwing caution to the wind? I think the analytics has gotten a little out of control, especially when you look at coaches like Dan Lanning at Oregon. That, that cost them, I believe, a win against Washington. I think Mike Gundy's just sitting there going, okay, I'll – I'll play fourth down defense. I'll play solid fourth down defense. I trust Brian Nardo to make the right call, which it sounded like he did. And I'm going to keep kicking field goals, and I'm going to win. And that's pretty good. Pretty good analytics for Mike Gundy, wouldn't you think?
0: Yeah, and I, you know this is an original thought by me, but it's it's almost the analytics coaches. It's almost gotten to the point where it's like, okay, well then why don't you just have a computer be your head coach? Um, and yeah, <laughs> I think you know Gundy's been doing this for so long that. I, it, it didn't. It wasn't really the case against West Virginia. Both of West Virginia's fourth down attempts, they needed to go forward. They were down, you know, in the fourth quarter. But I imagine a lot of these teams right now, whenever they're, you know, trusting the analytics, the you know those types of coaches, I, I'm, they'll probably start thinking twice a little bit whenever they're going against Oklahoma State. And Gunny's talked about it. You know, he said that um, it was after the Arizona State game, I believe. He said that they've practiced their down defense more than any team in the country. He's he's he didn't, you know, he said that without knowing what everybody else does, that they've practiced it so much more recently because of the movement um, to analytics so it's it seems like every week there's one or two of those moments that that he just pulls it off they they pull off a fourth down stop and that's kind of the difference in the game that that Kansas State game I cannot believe that Kansas State continued to not take points against Oklahoma State and just continued to go for it on fourth down and and was unsuccessful because to me Kansas State should have went into that game thinking okay we're the better team let's just take our points where we can get them and we should, you know, lead this town with a, with a win. And that's just not what Chris Kleiman and them elected to do. And Mike Gundy was just like, okay, well, I'm going to keep taking field goals. Um, I I do think that they are kicking too many field goals. They've got to figure out their red zone offense a little bit. Um, but yeah, if they're going to, if teams are just going to keep giving Oklahoma state possessions, Mike Gundy's going to make them pay for it. 11,
1: 12, 13. Okay. I was, I was counting the number of possessions to, to your point. Like this, this is not big 12 football back in, you know, the heyday of where everyone was just having shootouts every week. Like the, the possessions have, have gone down somewhat, uh, depending on the game to where it's even more vital to, to get points because you're not getting you're not running hundred plays, you know, you're not getting as many possessions. And I, I think that's so so true. And I believe Mike Gundy spoke about the the crucial fourth down where Garrett Green kept it and he said that that Brian Nardo had like the perfect call uh, can you kind of get into that for people that maybe didn't didn't hear Mike's comments
0: yeah so Garrett Green he he wasn't really lighting things up passing the ball but but he did have north of 100 117 rushing yards so i, I think they were expecting him to keep the ball um, on this play and and they just put they they dove in they they clogged filled the middle to to make him pull that that read option play um, and then they had Kendall Daniels on them. They, you know, Kendall's assignment for that play was the quarterback. So it's kind of like we mentioned with that tight end. Uh, whenever you're Garrett Green and all of a sudden you're running for a fourth down and predators is chasing you, um, <laughs> probably doesn't probably doesn't look too good. And and I think that I listened to uh, Neil Brown's press conference as well, and Neil said that he should have gave the ball there, but that Garrett probably wanted to make a play and, and probably wanted to be the guy that that did that. And so maybe it was a bad read by by Garrett Green, but it looked like the middle was pretty clogged up and then good luck. Garrett green outrunning, especially going into the field or into the sideline side. Um, good luck for him trying to avoid uh, Kendall Daniels.
1: Well, I thought he was going to pass it at even after he kept it, there was a guy kind of a lead blocker for him. And I guess he was supposed to block about, I thought he might just wait for, you know, maybe Daniels to commit and, and dump it to him. Kind of K state style. One of those like run pass option deals, but, but yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I think, you had to think Kendall Daniels had just a giant smile on his face when he saw Garrett green in the open field. He's like, this is like, he's like, this is like candy from a baby, like jaws versus child, like just chum in the water. Like this is just root." Just the way he tackled him kind of just drug him to the ground. So nonchalantly, like, yeah, like that was, that was always going to happen guys. Like it almost sensed like, When he got the call from Nardo and Nardo told him what to do, that he was like, this is going to work and I'm going to go tackle him and we're going to get the ball back. That's kind of like the way his body language looked like after such a huge play to really, you know, almost seal the win for Oklahoma State. And I just I got to tell you, Marshall, like I've been following OSU football a lot longer than you, but I think you you probably know that OSU has not had too many safeties that look like (laughs) that look like Kendall Daniels. They just they just haven't. So I'm to have sure. like oh, a, a Des Bryant at safeties is quite a change and it's a, it's a welcome one.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure Oklahoma State has had a lot of defensive ends that look like Kendall Daniels. There was, <laughs> there's a <laughs> the picture from uh is this summer Nardo had uh the the defensive backs over for some like team dinner or something like that and they posted a picture of it and Kendall Daniels is just towering. It looked like Kendall Daniels had missed the the defensive line dinner and he just showed up to the <laughs> to safety dinner because he missed that one. He, he's yeah. just towering over everybody there and those are all Division one athletes that he's standing next to. Yeah, he's, well, and, he, and he is a freak.
1: And that's another conversation I had was, you know, it's it's so trite and it's so cliche and it's so simple, but, you know, Kendall Daniels, legitimate four-star, committed to Texas A&M. That was back when Lincoln Riley just did not recruit Oklahoma kids for whatever reason. And I wish you get some. Ollie Gordon, legit four-star. Like, the, the, this is how you win Big 12 football games. Dudes like Kendall Daniels realizing their potential. Obviously, Ollie Gordon just – becoming a supernova superstar and then guys like nick martin which again i will give mike gundy and his staff credit they more often than not they've got a lot of really good football players regardless of the recruiting rankings and when they're losing games it's very easy to focus on that and i think they they could certainly improve that but you look around the field you know Mahalski, who you mentioned um they they're getting the best out of their their roster right now and i think as down as i was on on the job mike gundy was doing and he was just as down on it himself you got to give a ton of credit to him uh dickie and, and dunn on the offensive side and I, I think nardo's proven to be a really good hire but just um it's been fun to watch daniels and, and ollie and and those guys really really play the, their best football so far
0: yeah and you kind of mentioned recruiting a little bit they there were a couple of classes there they're not recruiting outstandingly right now i think their classes in the 50s maybe in the 60s um but there was a stretch there where they you know i think daniels was at 21 class um you know they get talent shetran um colin oliver was a pretty you know high level recruit there was a stretch there where they're getting you know you know kind of supplementing the their solid finds. um as far as diamonds of the rough go with some high-end top-level talent um that kind of hasn't continued into this class it doesn't feel like unless they're just nailing their evaluations which i wouldn't put it past them kind of like you mentioned but yeah and, and even going back you know T- tylen wallace high-level recruit Chuba Hubbard I believe was like a fringe four-star type guy like more often than not this this staff is so good at evaluating that if they could evaluate you know more of those four-star type dudes and and know which ones to go after it just seems it seems too simple I guess
1: yeah it's it's really that simple I mean those guys are winning on football games Um, let's hit on the special teams before we get to our uniform review and, and toast of the week kind of a weird game I mean weird things typically happen in West Virginia I know the the rain started coming down in the second half, but kind of some some un, uncharacteristic mistakes and, and miscues. I mentioned the, the muffed punt from uh, Brennan Presley. They had a, you, you mentioned rugby style punting. They rugby style punted it into their own dude's shoulder pad slash helmet for like a blocked punt on themselves. And then... I was getting 2011 PTSD from the the field goal call that was called it no good which I rewound it many many times and I I still don't understand how they ruled that no good.
0: Yeah, I would think I would like for those officials that stand under the the goalpost to have to have like a GoPro on their head so whenever they look up I see what they're seeing. It it I don't know. To me it looked a little bit more wide than the Iowa State kick. For what it's worth, but I still don't know that I personally would have said that that was no good. But I don't, I, I, it's tough for me to get mad at at Alex Hale just based on the the amount of times that he's had to go out there this year. I think he's already up to 21 field goal attempts. And all of last year, Tanner Brown had 23 field goal attempts. So, wow. Yeah. It's, they, they are running him out there a ridiculous amount. But, um, yeah, it, it was just a bad special team day. That's very uncharacteristic for a Gundy coach team. And I imagine special teams, you know, this week in practice is going to get, harped on hard I imagine they're going to run punt quite a bit more than they do I imagine they're going to run punt return to make sure that you know nobody's running into their punt return man uh plenty of times um and and I'm sure that you know Alex Hale will will walk it off but uh yeah special teams uncharacteristically um for a Mike Gundy coach team not that great yesterday
1: no and and you know it's a (laughs) when you're punting and you got kickers and punters out there like you know weird stuff can happen and especially when the weather's not not great but and, and I can see where the officials maybe ruled it wide, because it was hooking, it was drawing, you know, from right to left. And I think some people were sending me screenshots of the ball, like, you know, through the up, like, you know, between the uprights, but it was clearly after the ball had had passed. Yeah. And so I could certainly see it, but I thought it hooked before it, it crossed, you know, where the the goalposts would be. I mean, obviously, thank goodness it didn't come to to matter, but I don't know that was that was a strange one. I was kind of half expecting them to finally give us the the official view like the NFL has that view you're you're wanting where it's just straight up from the uprights but uh, I guess you know ESPN broadcast in Morgantown you're not going to get all the camera angles you need which is which is totally like silly that <laughs> that it kind of depends what what network you're on and what's time slot to get you know the right call go your way but fortunately it didn't matter and I'm with you I think Alex Hale's done more than enough for this team this year and that's just gonna happen on some on some occasions. But that's, that's kind that of what I soccer. mean by that. It. It's one of those games that felt like nothing was gonna kinda go their way and then all of a sudden it did.
0: Yeah, I know that you're a soccer guy. It's almost like they need VAR or whatever they have in tennis whenever they yeah. you know, go and look at the, the, the I need that technology.
1: Yeah, it's twenty twenty three, right? Yeah, like I needed it in
0: twenty eleven, but I'll take it right now.
1: Oh. If we could go back to 2011, could OSU like could they put next to 1945 national champions? Could they put 2011 if we get like the the laser beam that that proves that the field goal was good?
0: <laughs> I'm sh- I'm sure that you know all of the other fan bases that are already very upset about the 1945 banner uh, <laughs> would would have a great time with that. Uh,
1: it's 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 pretty embarrassing. My my thoughts on the 1945 thing are are well known, but I wasn't there, so who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, anything stick? Anything else? Any final thoughts? Any other thoughts you wanted to get out about the game uh, against West Virginia?
0: Um, let's see. I, Ollie Gordon's fourth quarter. I don't. I don't. We've spent so much time talking about Ollie Gordon. His fourth quarter alone was just ridiculous. Uh, I'm trying to find the numbers
1: for how how many points did they score in the fourth quarter? Twenty-eight. Yeah, Yeah, that's about. That was the impossible dream of thirty, almost in a quarter.
0: Yeah, in the fourth quarter alone, Ollie had 149 yards and three touchdowns, which is an outstanding game. If he would have had 149 yards and three touchdowns in the entire game, I imagine OSU leaves Morgantown feeling pretty good about that. But that was just his fourth quarter. Um, I tweeted this out uh, as well that... um, So he had a... Apparently, Ollie per PFF, again, whether you trust it or not, whatever, PFF had him at 194 yards yesterday after contact, which... Woo. Ridiculous. And he had eight runs of 10 or more yards. Three of those runs were touchdowns. One of them, he was shoved out of bounds, which means that whenever he got downfield, West Virginia was not tackling him very much. You know, we, we talk about his size and and I imagine those DBs, whenever they see that freight train rolling, are just like, I, I don't feel like being here anymore. I'm not, you know, if we wanted to get this guy to the ground, we should have done it way before he got to me. That's how I would be feeling if I was back there.
1: Well, yeah, they, they couldn't even get close enough to touch him in the second half for him to get more yards after contact. They like Most of those touchdown runs were un, were untouched. That's just the speed he's showing and just on a completely different level that he's playing at. And, I, and I'm glad you brought that up. I think Ollie's emergence has been a, a key part of this. Uh, I think Casey Dunn deserves a lot of credit for this and Mike Gundy. Uh, we kind of put them hand in hand. OSU's become one of the better first down offenses in the country. I believe they were averaging coming into this game close to seven yards on first down. And I got to think that number improved because how many runs, Marshall, did did Ollie get six, seven, eight yards on first down? That, that, That used to be the biggest problem with this offense is they would try to run it on first down, get no gain to maybe a loss of one, and all of a sudden you're behind the chains. But I think that's just as much as Ollie Gordon's emerged. I think the fact that they've become such a good first down offense is one of the biggest reasons for the turnaround as well.
0: Yeah, I'm looking on stat broadcast right now, and he had a 27-yard run on a first down. He had a 16-yard touchdown run on a first down. He had a 46-yard touchdown run on a first down. And I think those are the only, the, the quote-unquote big plays that he had. Um, And, and Alan Bowman also threw a 16-yard pass uh, on a first and 10, and a 29-yard pass on a first and 10. So, yeah, it just kind of backs up that, that this team on first down is is really killing it right now.
1: What do you make of Alan Bowman before we move to our uniform review and toast? I thought he was serviceable and again that's that's all I've said about the guy I think he he's proven that he can get this offense to to play efficiently and and really that's that's all this offense needed now that especially now that you have what you know you have in Ollie Gordon but I thought he was thought he was good uh they, they did a good job getting Brendan Presley more involved I think that was another key in this game but um what would you make of Alan Bowman on the road against West Virginia
0: yeah I think he had like three really great throws two of them were like kind of over a linebacker or safety um, and then into a tight window to Talon Shetron. Um, those were two beautiful balls. And then he had that beautiful fade route to, I believe it was Jaden Bray, um, on the OSU sideline. Those were really great. And, and aside from that, I thought he was like a little bit off. He was still throwing like catchable balls, but they just like weren't really hitting guys in stride. Um, but yeah, I think the, the term system quarterback kind of has like a negative connotation about it to where, you know, in the NFL, if you're a system quarterback, you're just, you know, that Brock Purdy's trying to to avoid that moniker right now with all the weapons that he has around him that, Oh well, anybody could do what Brock Purdy's doing, which is you know just simply untrue. So I, I think that he's kind of got that moniker about him right now, but I don't think that that's a bad thing. If if you can get a guy to you know essentially a point guard to facilitate to Ollie Gordon to facilitate to Brandon Presley, um, you know Jaden is a, a lightning rod with the, whenever he can get the ball actually in his hands, um, and then Rashad Owens has been really good since stepping into that Z roll. So I I think if if he can just kind of play point guard and and distribute the ball to. You know, OSU's high-level playmakers. I think you know they're going to be in pretty good shape.
1: Yeah, and that that was kind of an underrated thing. They won the game, so people didn't notice it and aren't harping on it as much. But they're pretty beat up at receiver. I believe they had to throw in Leon Johnson, the transfer from from wherever George Fox is, Division three football, because you know Shetron got banged up. They obviously had, were without Stribling. Presley's more of an inside guy. It was basically down and Blaine Green was was beat up in this game. Every time the the, the one catch he had, he was really favoring his shoulder. Uh I think that's wh- partly why they wanted to get the ball to Josiah Johnson who made just a great catch at a key moment of the game. But they, you know, Bowman hasn't had just this system built around him on on the road against West Virginia. They were they're pretty beat up at receiver. They need to get some of those guys more healthy.
0: Yeah, they so they moved cuz Blaine Green's been playing more on the inside they moved him to the outside whenever all those guys started getting injured and then he gets injured and then they, you know, talent Chetron gets blown up on the OSU sideline and what was kind of a bad, you know, he kind of got like, Oh, why didn't you catch the ball? I I don't know how you're supposed to catch the ball whenever you get hit as hard as he did on the sideline. So Bowman, I'm,
1: Bowman threw a couple hospital balls to him yes. where he kind of leads him straight into the safety twice.
0: <laughs> yeah. There were a couple of those yesterday where I'm like, well, Bowman's just a little bit off where he's still throwing them and they're like hitting receivers hands, but those are like tough catches that they have to make. So yeah, t- Talent that catch of Talon Shetron, he like had a hold of the ball, and then the safety just you know removed him from the ball. So, I don't really blame him on that one too much, but yeah, it just seemed like he was a little off. But you know, with all of the you know changes that were going on uh, at receiver with, with all the injuries, um, I, I think it was still a really solid performance from Alan
1: Bowman. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anything else before we get to uniform review?
0: I don't think so. I think that's all I got.
1: Okay, our uh, uniform reviews brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. My goodness, if you want to wear one of these slick jerseys, you need to go to Chris's. The The road whites with the black numbers are... Whew, they look great. The new uniforms are awesome. Um, black, white, orange kind of surprised me, Marshall. Uh, that's more... Usually reserved for Bedlam or Iowa State traditionally, but hey, big road game. They've mixed it up against West Virginia. Um, Patriot Pete, I, I maybe would have liked cursive Cowboys more, but hey, I thought it was a great look. What'd you think?
0: Yeah, my my prediction on the site was black, white, orange, but was with cursive. Um, that that was the that was exactly oh. what they ran against uh, uh, Notre Dame. So so maybe like their next black, white, orange probably wasn't going to be cursive if I was you know looking into it too deeply. But yeah. I, I think whenever they first announced these new uniforms, I didn't respect the fact that, you know, they had the different numberings on the white jerseys enough. I didn't realize how big of a game changer that would be, but yeah, with those black numbers and, you know, they've got the orange outlines to, to match with the pants and then you've got the black numbers to match with the house. It was just, it was beautiful. And it, and it seems like every week right now, every time they release those uniforms, you know, 30 minutes to kickoff or whatever it is, it's just outstanding.
1: Well, how do you like, I have always thought, you know, Kyle Porter and I were early on the black, white, orange. Like we loved it before uh, Iowa state. They wore it against the, the fateful night against Iowa state in 2011. And we were just like beside ourselves when they wore them. say so it looks so good. I think it of all the uniforms they have, especially road ones. I think it's the most OSU uniform they have. Cause you got like, it almost sets apart each color. Like it's not just black and orange. It's not just black and white or whatever combo you want to go with. Like, if you want to show people, hey, this is Oklahoma State. This is what they wear when they play football. I think it encapsulates OSU so perfectly. I, I love the black, white, orange. It's probably it's my favorite road look by far. And uh, it's up there for me on my favorite combo in general. I, I just loved it. I, I, I did wonder, though, if the orange numbers would look better with the orange pants, but that's the beauty of it. It matched the helmet instead with the black numbers. But I just, I love black, white, orange. Tricolor is not for everyone, but I love it.
0: Yeah. And I, th- I th- tricolor looks so much better on the road whenever the white has to be the jersey Uh, especially now that they don't have the grays and you know whatever you think about the grays it's it's easier to kind of run a a gray as part of a tricolor than like white pants don't look great if you've got like a black helmet and an orange jersey Mm -hmm. so the the road tricolors give me all of them all the time
1: yeah they look they look fantastic and and um i do want to give a shout out to uh tim retay this was uniform Heisman moment territory from an assistant coach. You probably don't even know what I'm referencing.
0: No, I have no idea. I didn't see it.
1: Uh, he's done this, I believe, since he's been a coach at Oklahoma State, and some of their staffers do it. I think Greg Richmond does this as well. They wear the, the baseball hat with the interlocking OS, mm-hmm. and he must have one in every color because he timed it perfectly. He wore the, the white cap with the black interlocking OS with the black bill. That just matched, you know, kind of the white and black jersey and pants, uh, or sorry, jersey and helmet look they were going, it just, and he was wearing like the, the nylon bomber jacket with like the striped uh, cuffs on top of that. I I think it was like a Heisman, a, a uni Heisman moment from an assistant coach. It just, it looked fantastic. So I wanted to get that out in the ether as well.
0: Maybe, uh you know, Casey Dunn, it seems like, has been wearing the same pair of sweats to practice since 2011.
1: And that lawnmower, the the lawnmowing hat that it looks like he's mowed a, a hundred yards in. It's like yeah, just so sweat stained, like a different color.
0: So maybe Tim Rattay has just kind of raided, because I'm sure that Casey Dunn gets all of these new clothes. So maybe Tim Rattay just said, hey, Casey, I'm going to, you know, raid your closet and, and take all the cool stuff out of it while well, you're wearing these sweats.
1: I'm I'm just appreciative because you could tell real thought was put into it. He didn't just grab his hat that he always wears for every game he's like okay what are we wearing what are we okay yeah like love it so good on tim like everyone gets gets uh respect after this game even for what they're wearing so yeah uh, we appreciate it's hard, to,
0: it's hard to not give kendall daniels the uni heisman literally every game just because we've talked about how outstanding he looks all the time he just makes every uniform look outstanding
1: yeah i think ollie gave him a run yeah. i, I Depending on how you feel about the chuba arm guards those like tape that run up the the back of their elbows up their bicep, up their tricep and all the way down to their wrist mm-hmm. uh and he had the he had the, the the spats on his ankles too the the taped ankles is an undefeated look but dating back to like ncaa on on playstation so yeah i've had turf. I, i'm burn with you before. though kendall's tough to unseat
0: uh, yeah i've had turf burn before so whenever i saw chuba with those long things behind his it made, it made so much sense to me turf burn is not something to be messed with. So I I'm all for the the tape on the back of the arms.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ollie gave him a run, but I think, well, I think Kendall Daniels got the belt for uh, the, it's really not a fair fight. Once no. you throw the dreads in there too, Just just not a fair fight. Uh, let's get to our toast of the week brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. I enjoyed some Yinglings as well. I had more of those flights, Marshall. I don't know if you drink Mick ultra on the golf course, but you need to sub them in for some flights. They're uh, refreshing, crisp, uh, very light, low carb, and uh, they're they're fantastic. My my wife is 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 drinking all the flights, so I better go I better go get some more because we're we're running low. But we appreciate Yingling sponsoring the podcast. Uh, go find them on your local gas stations. They're they're all around Oklahoma now. They've they weren't in Oklahoma for a long time, but they are here now. So go check out Yingling, and we appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. There are six generations of brewing. The Yingling family's been doing it a long time. So go get you some Yingling. And Marshall, who are you toasting this week?
0: Well, it's it's hard to not toast Ollie Gordon. So like every I'm sure that I think that one's just kind of a given. Hey, Ollie Gordon was really good on Saturday. He gets he just, a keg. Yes, he he gets whatever he wants. Um but I, but I'm going to go with the offensive line and kind of those numbers that I've, I I kind of, you know, spoiled my my pick here, but those numbers that I mentioned earlier, you know, they're running for 6 yards a carry in conference play, um giving up 0.5 sacks a game in conference play in in non con they're running for 118.7 yards a game. They're running for 201 right now and obviously You know, yesterday's explosion helps that quite a bit. But it's it's just hard to imagine, you know, that this is the same. Essentially, you you know, they've they've moved guys around a little bit, but a lot of these guys are just the same dudes that they've used, you know, for the past however many years. So whatever they've done to turn things around there, Gundy says they've, you know, kind of simplified things a little bit and and just started doing what they do well more. Um, But the the turnaround offensive line, uh, you know, Charlie Dickey, Mike Gundy, Casey Dunn, whoever – Whoever you know spearheaded that, uh, I, I think that that's where my toast is going.
1: That's a great one. Um, I'll I'll kind of go similar vein. I'm going to give a toast to Casey Dunn. Look, I mean, obviously playing the right quarterback has has made his job easier. Having Ollie Gordon at running back certainly has made his job easier. But you still have to get the production out of them. And he saw that he had the hot hand with Ollie. He saw that he was just you just annihilating West Virginia. He gave him 29 carries. Some coaches might get cute there. Some coaches, when they're running for eight yards on first down, might try to fake them out and do something cute. He's like, I'm gonna keep feeding Ollie. I keep posting that gift, feed me more, is what Ollie's saying. Well, Casey Dunn did a great job feeding him. And I mentioned the Justin Southwell tweet from last week, kind of diagramming a play from the Miami Dolphins and saying, man, could they just do this with Brendan Presley, Jaden Nixon? I joked that is Mike Gundy got his, his big chief notepad out and wrote that play down. It wasn't the same play, Marshall, but the 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 creativity to get Brand Presley back into the backfield, slip him out for the, you know, basically would turn into a walk-in touchdown. That's basically what Southwell and I were asking for. So I gotta give a big toast to Casey Dunn. He's really started doing everything we've been calling for. And the results are there. They dropped nearly a 50 burger on on West Virginia in some tough conditions against a hostile crowd. I uh I've been very hard on Casey um but he's he's done a very good job he, he deserves a lot of credit for this turnaround so I'll toast to him
0: yeah and kind of building off that I believe before that Brendan touchdown I think it was on the same series it might have been a different series but there was at one point they hurried up to the line and they had Brendan Presley at running back and Ollie Gordon split out at receiver if I was the opposing coach I would have call the timeout right there because I was ready to call a timeout from my living room like what, what is going on here <laughs> um it, it ended up not I don't think anything crazy happened on that play but then on the presley touchdown he he catches the ball and i'm like oh crap there's two guys right there um you know this play's going nowhere he spins out of both of those and like holy smokes this is all of, like brendan presley's the greatest player to ever play the game and then he like starts slowing down before he gets to the goal line. And I'm pretty sure you could hear all of Stillwater just collectively yell at him to get in the end zone. <laughs> so that that, that was the, the roller coaster of emotions that this season has been like, it feels like just that one play.
1: I thought he was going to get Leon Lett. Uh, that's before your time. Dallas Cowboys, D-Lineman. Do you know who I'm talking about? I have no idea. Well, there's a famous... Leon Lett made two of the worst plays in football history. Um, Dallas Cowboys blocked a field goal in a blizzard in Dallas, and he tried to go recover it as a defensive lineman and, t- and just touched it. And then Miami fell on it for a touchdown complete bonehead play, I believe on Thanksgiving. And then they were just killing my Buffalo bills in the Super Bowl. And he picks up a fumble and is running it into the end zone and starts kind of high stepping and holds the ball behind him. Just kind of celebrating. And Don Beebe, a little tiny white wide receiver runs from behind him and knocks it out of his hand as he's about to score. So I, I thought we were getting a Leon let situation where he was going to get stripped from behind. I, I was just like you screaming at my TV, getting the end zone.
0: Yeah. And especially with, you know, the the punt situation that happened and then he, he, it was like a nice pass breakup, I believe in the first quarter against him. Like Twitter was all of a sudden against Brandon Presley. So I I did not need him to, you know, get caught from behind there because he was, you know, taking his time getting in the end zone.
1: Yeah, but he did get there. Uh, OSU with another, another big win. Um, Again, I, where do we go from here, Marshall? What do they got next? Let's see here. They got Cincinnati at home. Then obviously the big one, Bedlam, and Stillwater as well. So they got, they got two straight weeks of home games, then on the road at UCF, on the road at Houston, uh, two very winnable games, and then BYU at home to finish the year. I mean, I felt really stupid, Marshall, picking them to win nine. I flirted with 10. I actually had 10 initially and just, just you know, law of squinky, I couldn't go to 10. But nine wins seems seems doable it's possible it's certainly more possible than it was just a few weeks ago how do you see this uh what are your thoughts is just where they are now versus where they were and what they have what lies ahead of them
0: yeah really they should because UCF has not looked great UCF looked a little bit better yesterday um but you know, you know all of those new teams they're really struggled to you know adapt to the grind that is a big 12 game every weekend um so they should win four of those they should win you know those four games but It it, it's a little, I'm still a little hesitant to say that because South Alabama was just a month ago, you know, so it's, it's such a roller coaster, but I put this in thoughts yesterday. It's like, at this point, would it be more surprising if, you know, after the two and two start, OSU didn't make, you know, a bowl game, didn't get to six wins, or would it be more surprising now if they made it to Arlington? And just the fact that, you know, (laughs) both of those ends of the spectrum have happened in this season. Um, is absolutely crazy you know you mentioned you know OU in texas didn't look great yesterday uh you wonder how much of that's kind of a hangover from from the red river um but if one of those teams slips and they up had a especially... bye week yeah
1: they had a, they had a bye week
0: if, if one of those teams slips up especially if OU slips up against oklahoma state um then all of a sudden this thing is is wide open and, and oklahoma state's got a real shot they're going to be kicking themselves that they lost to iowa state who's you know for some reason you know matt campbell's pulled a rabbit out of a hat um you they're know, playing better yeah, I'm. I'm not sure how I feel about Matt Campbell. I was really high on Matt Campbell, and then he had Brees Hall, and Brock Purdy, two guys in you know NFL MVP pros. conversations. <laughs> yeah, and they won seven games their senior year. So I win I, nine games. I don't know where, I, yeah, I, don't know where I stand on the Matt Campbell situation, but it seems like with this group, he's done a good job.
1: We have nine talked, games.
0: Yeah, we haven't talked Iowa. Do you want to get into that at all?
1: Did I read this correctly? In that, or uh, here, let's get into Iowa in a second. I just wanted want to follow up to what you had to say about. OSU's remaining schedule I they're just not good OSU meaning who I mean they're just they're not good enough to just chalk these wins up I think the West Virginia game was a perfect example of that like I I kind of see the UCF game playing similarly to where I think they'll largely outplay a lot of teams but they're not good enough to really you know run away from them and I think that's where it's so key one one of your 10 thoughts that we didn't hit on was their discipline and the lack of the big penalties you know, if they continue that they can win a lot of these games, most of them. Um, if they start to have more penalties and don't play as clean a football, that's when they're going to lose one that you and I aren't really expecting. I, They have to continue to play efficient football like they have because that they don't really have much margin for error. And I thought even just some little things going against them against West Virginia almost really determined the game now. It will help if the officials call interference. I mean, my God, West Virginia was beating them over the head with a steel chair, and they weren't calling anything. That, I think that that's part of it too. But I think to wrap up where I think they're going this season, they can certainly win the rest of them. Uh, I'm not picking that, but they have to remain efficient. And I think that was a great call out by you, just how you know. And this is a hallmark of my Gundy teams. They they play mistake free football and don't beat themselves. Very very Bill Snyder Kansas State like in the way they do things typically.
0: And that's where it's, that's where Alan Bowman's really going to, you know, he might not throw for, you know, 450 in, in some game up here, but if he can just keep, you know, not turn over the football, he had a, I thought the pick yesterday was pretty bad. Honestly, it, it didn't look like that receiver had a shot. It, it was, there was two defenders out there. So if, if he can keep those mistakes to a minimum and just keep taking what defenses give him, um, I, I think that's like kind of the best route forward for Oklahoma state, but I, you know, where Alan Bowman might not, you know, throw for 400 yards, they just really need him to,
1: keep possession of the football Yep, i agree uh iowa so they had the lowest uh, point total of a game in 30 years per brett mcmurphy the point spread was like 30 total points didn't even sniff it against minnesota minnesota wins 12 to 10 iowa had 127 total yards and correct me if i'm wrong marshall i read this on twitter so it has to be true did Iowa really have two total yards in the entire second half? Is is that a real stat, or is Twitter and Elon Musk just trying to get me to self combust with joy? Uh, this this stat that the gift that keeps on giving is Iowa football, and they're setting back the forward pass, killers of the forward pass. Some called it on Twitter instead of the flower moon. Did did my eyes deceive me, or was that a real statistic?
0: Yeah, so I just went to Stat Broadcast to confirm. 12 total yards they rushed for negative 0.9 yards of carry rushed for negative eight total yards in the second <laughs> half and had 20 passing yards in the second half
1: oh uh, uh, we're life is back to the way we know it marshall osu it has an offense they've flirted with 50 and i was putting up two yards and a half does it get could, could i and in, my, my seminoles also tried to flirt with squinky on on saturday night they win i one of the best Saturdays I've had in a while, Marshall. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a great Saturday night.
0: I think that maybe North Dakota State could win the Big Ten West. And it might oh, not yeah. be particularly close.
1: Yeah, and like, do I, this is what I've always said about the Big Ten. Like, obviously the West is just a complete calamity. That's half of your conference. But does Penn State scare anybody? Does Ohio State scare you this year? Like, this is the cream of the crop that they've got. They're struggling to get to twenty points, and it's not. And please save me that it's that they got all this talent on defense. They they can't complete the forward pass. Did you see Penn State's numbers? Their I, quarterbacks' numbers. I, Our I friend Mikey, why? Mike Yersich goes to Penn State and and can't call offense anymore. Their quarterback was eighteen of forty two. He had one hundred and ninety one yards and a touchdown. He had a twenty nine QBR. Against Ohio State, who's not been great defensively. That's why they hired Jim Knowles. He's obviously getting the job done, but whoo, that league stinks on offense. What would Ollie Gordon do to to Iowa? Like, bring on Iowa. What would what would Kendall Daniels do to Iowa? Like, and and they were they were seriously having playoff talks about Iowa last week, Marshall. It's a joke.
0: I just i i don't know. I, I would hate to be an Iowa football fan. There's so I, I keep up with the Pat McAfee show a little bit, and there's a guy who's a Packers fan, so I relate to him. Um, and he went to school at Iowa, and I just could not imagine week after week after week having like being forced to watch that. I just could not, like, we, we got a little bit of taste of that, you know, last year, uh, towards the end of last season where, where OC, you know, wasn't scoring 30 points, um, and, and things weren't going well. But I could just not imagine for that just being your life, for that being, I, I, like, how does Iowa have. Football fans, if that's what they have to watch every week.
1: Well, it's 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 like hard to be that bad on offense. Don't you just like kind of luck your way into a broken play that goes for twenty yards every now and then? Like, surely the defense is going to mess up at some point and gift you twenty yards. You got two and a half. Oh, it's just, I'm so happy, Marshall. It was it was a great weekend, and that just was the the cherry on top. Just what what a Saturday. It was awesome. So. Well, Marshall, anything else before we get out of here? Any final thoughts? I mean, this was a lot of fun. You you picked a good week to to fill in. OSU football has has regained not just respectability, but again, there's there's a chance they could make it to Darlington. We'll have to see though. But I appreciate you joining me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, uh, Colby's going international. Just uh, just let me know.
1: He's Mister Worldwide, man. He travels morning by now, but uh, I'm sure he's having fun in Scotland. Uh, appreciate you filling in, Marshall, and. We'll get back with Colby uh, next week, and as he likes to say, go Pokes.